Hello and welcome to Connected episode 357. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Instabug, Squarespace, and Smile. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I am good. Mike is away this week. We're in the time of year. We're, you know, doing some uh, some light vacationing. So Mike is taking a week off. It's just me and you. And we're going to talk about weird topics. This document, I I am. <laughs> this document is <laughs> is maybe the most scattershot we've done in a while. It's just like a bunch of yes. random things. And you came yes. with some stuff and I came with some stuff. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be an adventure for all of us. Yes. It's going to be the, the most adventurous episode of Connected you've ever listened to. So uh, strap in because it's going to be fun. Fun in the summer. What would you call that? I don't know. Somebody should, should try and, and for, like, come up with a format for that kind of podcast. Um, the summer of enjoyment. Mm. The, the summer of amusement. I don't know. Steven, we had some follow-up. Specifically, it's about you and your Kickstarter for your uh, Apple event calendar. So, ha- congrats. Thank you. You've been a thousand percent funded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, across a thousand percent funded in the final hour. So, thank you all who pledged. Uh, I've been hard at work on the calendar and am uh, getting ready to have some samples printed and things are moving full steam ahead. So, if you backed that, I really do appreciate it. It went so much bigger than I ever anticipated and... It's going to be an adventure to get them all out the door, but that's, I think, part of the fun in a weird way. You've been sending me pictures of somebody that you're following who I think is doing a Kickstarter and they're shipping things and you're just like, this is coming for you. Yes, I'm just getting you ready. Like I've been sending you pictures of people like uh, preparing boxes and, and, you know, shipping things and mailing things. And I've been sending you a bunch of links and photos like this being like, this is going to be your life soon. I just want to, I just want to make sure that you're prepared to have, um, how many, um, Backers, uh, is that is that number uh, public? Like Eleven hundred. Wow. Something. Okay, so uh, you're, soon you're gonna be able to to tell us what it feels like to mail a thousand things yeah, to people. It was one thousand one hundred and sixty-four backers. Wow, it's okay. amazing. Most people do not mail one thousand things in a lifetime. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and I'm gonna do it uh, in just a few weeks. <laughs> yes. So if you're a backer, keep an eye out. I'm going to be posting regular updates, keeping you informed of when they start going out. So that'll be fun. Okay. So I'm going to let you do it mm-hmm. because I know this is important to you. Yes. We, we can talk about the Mac Pro. There are dozens of us who care about this. Sure. There's been this rumor that there's going to be an updated Intel Mac Pro before the Apple Silicon version comes out. And if, if you read... Mark Gurman's very spicy tweet a few minutes ago. It was like, there's your new Mac Pro. Uh, Apple has announced three new MPX modules, three new graphic options based on uh, AMD's new uh, Radeon, I don't know, their new system. Uh, I tried reading, do you find that reading about GPUs just is incredibly mind-numbing? Like, I just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, they all look the same. Like the, the, why is the GPU industry so stuck upon like these weird names? I'm pretty sure that like you know the meme of like uh two things and the handshake emoji mm-hmm. in the middle. It's like Sony and their product names for headphones and then GPUs and the handshake emoji <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> it's like this is yes. basically the RDNA2. <laughs> RDNA2 is uh, the Discord mm-hmm. has. Yeah, so it's their new, uh, whatever that means. Uh, three new options. The Radeon Pro W6800X. Of course. Uh, dual W6800X and the W6900X. Nice. And you can get them right now when you configure a Mac Pro, but they will be coming as standalone purchases at some point in the near future. Apple has done this. Before, in fact, the GPU that's in my Mac Pro is the, I'm looking it up. Why doesn't it say what it is? Uh, It's the uh, Radeon Pro W5700X. This was a GPU that came out mid-cycle and you could get it built into the machine. And then like a few weeks later, you could buy it standalone. And I bought it and slapped it into mine. And I've been really happy with it. I don't feel like I have any need to update. But if you have a Mac Pro, and there was some discussion about this in Discord earlier. It's like, well, why does this matter? A lot of people who have these professional machines, 
their needs change over time and they may need more horsepower for work they're doing now that they weren't doing before. But the other angle is longevity, that if you're going to hold on to this machine, if you're going to stay in the Intel world as long as you can, you may want to bump up something like this or add more RAM, more capacity, so you have more runway in the machine uh, for your workload. So so our standalone units, I'm sure they're going to sell very few, but it will be an option for those who who need it. And, you know, I'm glad Apple is at least doing something. I don't expect much more to come to the Intel Mac Pro, but... Having new GPUs is them delivering on the promise they made when they introduced mm. this thing a couple years ago. But you're not going to get it. No. No. What mm. I have is perfect for my needs. And uh, What kind of people are are should be interested in this update? I think in, What kind of users? Yeah, I think anyone who is doing um, any computation on their GPU where they need more compute units, more memory, these are obviously better at that. And then if you're doing really high-end 3D rendering, animation, that sort of work, I think if you're just cutting okay. videos together in Final Cut Pro, I don't think it's a necessary upgrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, you could spend money on the Afterburner card if you wanted to. Um, and so it's really that high-end. I mean, if you bought a Mac Pro and you're just editing podcasts on it, you probably don't need a new video card that's going to run you probably four or five grand. Okay. And what does this mean for the actual Apple Silicon Mac Pro update? Is this like Apple buying itself some more time to make sure that like there's still a, like a, this GPU spec bump uh, for the Intel Mac Pro before they can get like an M2 or M2X, whatever, Mac Pro ready next year? I kind of think it is. I think that it does buy them more time. And I think it's a nod to people who invested in this machine that it's not even though it may be a one and done in terms of the CPU, that they didn't just completely walk away from it. I mean, they announced this machine and then, what is it, a year and a half later, like <laughs> Apple Silicon is here. So they knew it was coming. And so I think it's also uh, showing those people that they don't have a dead end investment sitting under their desk, at least not yet. That makes sense. Have you started thinking about your strategy for the next Mac Pro? A little bit. I mean, I definitely am very curious, all the rumors of the the half-sized and, you know, what sort of upgradability mm. will be available. Of course, I will, I want to keep a desktop setup, and because I have a Pro Display XDR, like, it's a Mac Pro or a Mac Mini, and I like having a lot of storage and like having it all internal, so... I, I want to see what it is when it comes out, but this machine is so great like I, I'm, I don't feel at this point that I'm going to be in a rush to move over we'll see what happens when it comes out you know mark my words I mm-hmm. guess but uh, as far as I can tell you today I'm going to stay on the Mac Pro train even after Apple Silicon like I think I would move to whatever that is at some point I don't think I'm going to go back to an iMac uh, I'm, I've been thinking about what I want to do with the Mac Mini and I'm pretty sure that if Apple releases this um uh, second generation uh, Apple Silicon based Mac Mini in late 2021. Uh, I am gonna upgrade. I think it's time. Uh, like this rumored Mac Mini with the M1X, like pro pro version of the Mac Mini with the M1. I think I'm gonna get it yeah. if it's like real product and it's coming this year. I think that's the computer I'm gonna get. It feels like this Mac Mini is ready to. Uh, to be taken to uh, farm upstate, which will be my beach house in this case, um, and replace the Mac Mini on my desk with the new Apple Silicon-based version. I think it's time. Yeah, I think it, I think that Mac Mini definitely could exist. Like it seems like such an obvious product opening, especially since the Intel One you could really spec out to be really pretty powerful, mm. at least for a Mac Mini. And so I can totally see them having two Mac Minis. They have the M1 that's cheaper, and they have sort of an upgraded model that uses something more powerful. Maybe it comes in space gray, and they keep the silver for the other one. But yeah. I think that product exists, uh, or will exist. It's just a matter of, is it with these MacBook Pros that are, you know, forever right around the corner? Or is it something yeah. a little bit later on? I mean, I mean, you could see, right? You could see the Mac Mini, like... Just like the iMac, right? There's the entry level or like the, the the lower end model is kind of the same as the MacBook Air and the upper end model. So the bigger iMac and 
this theoretical faster, better Mac Mini is kind of like a MacBook Pro inside. I think the Mac Mini could ride on both of those rails just the same way that the iMac does. I think that's easy to understand for people walking into an Apple store, especially if they if they have a color difference between the two. And uh, and so yeah, I think I think that machine will show up, and I think it'd be a great option for you. I mean, you're living the Mac Mini lifestyle now, and moving to Apple Silicon, I think would would be um, I mean, I don't foresee that being any problems in your setup because you're using Windows for your uh, weird audio stuff anyways. So I think you could just move right over and and just see the benefits. All right. So moving on, we also got some other Mac-related news today, Stephen. Uh, Apple made the new Magic accessories that they released with the iMacs a few months ago available for standalone purchase. So that means the new Magic Keyboard with Touch ID and the redesigned Magic Trackpad and the Magic Mouse. I'm, I don't understand, like, wh- is, is there anything different about the Magic Mouse? I think the side profile is, like, slightly uh, different, but okay. it's not, it ain't much. <laughs> like, the Magic Trackpad, you can see that it's got, like, a more rounded shape, mm-hmm. which right. I think looks nice. And obviously the Magic Keyboard has Touch ID. Which is only, can you confirm that it only works on M1 computers? Yes. Right? Yes. It so, will not work. See, even more reason to stop using this Mac <laughs> that I yeah. have. Yeah, I bought, um, I bought my wife a new keyboard. So she uses a M1 MacBook Air, but always in clamshell mode, like tucked behind an LG display. Mm. And so it's going to be great for her because she'll be able to use Touch ID when she's at her desk. And if you use uh, like an M1 Mac Mini or a um, a notebook, you know, maybe it's not even in, in clamshell mode, but maybe it's like on a stand up next to your display. It's no fun, like reaching up there <laughs> trying to hit the button. No. And so having it uh, just on the desk is going to be great. I'm looking, I wish I could do it on my on my machine. I would have bought one for myself if the Intel Mac supported it. Same. Like, I'm so tired of typing in passwords. And uh, I, I have this Satachi X1 uh, Slim keyboard. I actually, now that now that I think about it, now that, I, that, that we're talking about this, I don't know why I'm using this Satachi keyboard anymore. <laughs> because, like, I made this purchase. It was actually very kindly sold to me by a Club Mac Stories member and shipped all the way from Canada. It took like 40 days to arrive via the postal service in Italy. Um, But I bought this when I thought, oh, certainly iPadOS 15 will introduce some major changes to external displays. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that I'm ready with a keyboard that lets me seamlessly switch between multiple devices. But then, like, I, I haven't thought about it in a while because then WWDC happened and I started working on the iOS review. But now that I think about it, why am I using this keyboard? It's, I'm not using the iPad Pro with an external display anymore because I got tired of waiting for Apple. So I just sort of went back to when I, when I, need, to do, when I need to do stuff at my Mac, I'm just going to use my Mac. But otherwise, I'm just working on the iPad either as a tablet, like for those times when I just want to hold the iPad like on the couch or something. But really, I would say 70% of the time, I'm just using the Magic Keyboard and I'm just looking at the iPad screen because I got tired of the pillar boxing and the, you know, not having real multiple windows on an external display. Just, I got tired of waiting. When it, when it happens, I will reconsider. But so why am I using this keyboard? I don't know. I don't know. I should go back to the Magic Keyboard. You should. There's no point in doing this. But the thing is, are they selling the compact Magic Keyboard in Space Gray now? Uh, no, these are all <sighs> silver. <laughs> they're Why? all They're all silver. And the regular Magic Why? Keyboard, uh, so like the one that I have here on my desk, also got a revision, the one without Touch ID, and it's you know rounded a little bit. It uh, looks a little bit different. Uh, I should say, though, too, that uh, all of these come with Lightning, you know, for charging and the initial sync, but it now comes with a braided USB-C to lightning cable, which is, which is pretty sweet mm-hmm. uh, because most Macs now just have USB-C. And so they transitioned this uh, to USB-C to lightning and a very nice uh, white cable. So you could, Federico, get a new Magic Keyboard with no Touch ID, but it's still just going to be silver. Space Gray is gone and you can't get these in any of the, the fun iMac colors Hold either. On. 
So, okay, okay, hold on. Let's consider this as a live thing to do on the show. So, there is a new Magic Keyboard, but it does not have Touch ID. Is that the version that I could get? Yeah, that, that would work with your Intel Mac Mini, yes. It's $99. Okay, I see it. It's 109 euros. What's different about it? It's Again, it's slightly more rounded. It's, um, yeah, and I don't know if it uses a different... Is there anything different in the in the key mechanism? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> can, can we call up Mike in Romania and ask him about the key mechanism of the Magic <laughs> Keyboard? Because the, the Magic Keyboard and the laptops and the Magic Keyboard like I have now, like mine is from 2017 or something. I've had this one a long time. They are slightly different, so I would assume they... It's got the... Zach says in Discord, it's got the globe key. Thank it, you, it Zach. It does. It has the globe key, and it has a lock key instead of an eject key. <laughs> okay, like, cool. All good information. So it is slightly okay. different. I don't think it's worth, like, if you already have a Magic Keyboard on an Intel machine, like, it's not worth buying this. I'm not getting it. I'm not. I'm just... Uh, I have a bunch of Magic Keyboards. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. Uh yeah, but even more reason to upgrade to an M1 whatever based mm-hmm. um, Touch ID, Touch ID uh, compatible Mac Mini. Since he's gone, can we can we talk about Mike's taping his keyboard to the underside of his desk for Touch ID? I saw that photo. What's going on? So is that a real thing that he did? I thought it was yeah. just like a, a thing he said he was going to do. No, he did it. But you know, Mike says many things. I know. Yeah, he, he, he's a big talker. But he has that yellow iMac that he bought, and he uses his fancy mechanical gamer keyboards. And so he Velcroed or double-sided tape or something the yellow Magic Keyboard that came with the iMac to the underside of his desk where he can just reach his finger under there and hit the Touch ID button. That's um, that's a life hack if I've ever seen one. Uh, I mean, it's kind of genius though, right? <laughs> like you can just uh, hold your finger under your desk. It's like a secret button. You know how in the movies, like the there's the there's the bad guy and he presses a button under his desk and like a hole opens. Uh, and you fall into like the the sewers or something, hmm. you know, like like in the you fall into the underground prison, for example. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like that. You press a button, and and it's like a trap for your office. I love it. I love the placement of of the keyboard under his desk. That's perfect. What if, what if the folks at iFixit took this apart and managed to? just make the Touch ID button work without the keyboard. <laughs> That'd be great. Like, what if you could figure out a way to just have a Touch ID button that you could put on your desk? That'd be fantastic. I mean, I guess it's technically possible, right? If you know, if you know, like, in the, in the circuit board <laughs> and the chips, what's going where, right? I mean, you keep it connected to Bluetooth... I feel like you need a lot of the inside of the keyboard. <laughs> I feel maybe, maybe. Okay, what if instead of that, you had your desk and you like routed out like the wood of your desk, like at an angle. So the keyboard was like in the desk, but the only key that was visible at the surface was the touch ID button. And the rest was just like hidden by the top of the desk. Mm. In desk touch ID. It's the future. Anyway, uh, we should move on because we have a bunch of other topics to talk about. Let's take a break. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Instabug. Building mobile apps presents some challenges. Bugs, crashes, and performance issues can be a nightmare for developers. But what if you could not only detect all of those issues, but understand the quality of your app from your user's point of view? Well, Instabug's lightweight SDK grabs all the insights you need to build quality apps. Through comprehensive bug and crash reports, performance monitoring, and real-time user feedback, all in one SDK. With Instabug, you can continuously monitor and measure the performance of your app as perceived by your users. You can then engage with your users by letting them report issues and questions right from inside your app. You don't have to send them out to a website. So get all the information you need about bugs, crashes, and other issues so you can fix those issues in record time. Instabug lets you do all of this with a focus on privacy and security. And you don't have to worry about the hassle of switching to new tools. It only takes a minute to integrate Instabug into your app, and it fits right within your workflow with support for Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, and Zendesk, or wherever 
you are handling your issues. Join over 25,000 top mobile developers around the world who use Instabug to ship high-quality apps. Go to try.instabug.com connected. That's try.instabug.com connected. Our thanks to Instabug for their support of the show and Relay FM. Do you see this uh, big Jeremy news? Jeremy is now a millionaire, I assume. But this is what it means. So Emojipedia got sold. Emojipedia was acquired by a smartphone company called Zedge. Is that is that how you would say this, Stephen? Zedge. That's that's how I would see it. Yeah. It is the uh, number one phone personalization app in the world. Okay. Well, I never heard of it before. Um, but I mean, I, I'm going to the website and I see it's one of those apps with like. Uh, that's got like wallpaper packs, custom icons, you know, that sort of stuff, it seems. And they do ringtones, live wallpapers. It seems like they're more popular on Android. You know, this kind of utility makes more sense on Android where you have deeper customization for the UI. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes more sense there. But yeah, Emojipedia um, started in 2013. Is that is that when Emojipedia started? I want to say it's 2013. Uh, I think that's when Emojipedia started, yeah. Yeah, it's been around for a while now, and uh, it's now part of this... Zedge was founded in 2003. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's kind of like before smartphones were a thing, even. Yeah. And uh, they are the new owners of Emojipedia, and for now, obviously, as with a lot of these acquisitions, it seems like Emojipedia will continue to operate, so there, there will still be a website, there will still be the... You know, the Emojipedia uh, previews of the new emoji and the emoji draft, all the things that we know and love about Emojipedia. Hopefully, you know, it's always a concern when companies got acquired that they only stick around for a while. And initially, it seems like everything is going as before and then changes happen. And now, I mean, obviously, changes are going to happen to Emojipedia, right? But hopefully not too much. And hopefully this will continue to be like the source for... Mm -hmm. You know, keeping track of the history of Emoji because it's really quite a comprehensive database that they have. I mean, it's really incredible all the different versions of Emoji that they are documenting on, on Emojipedia. So it'll be a shame if uh, this, uh, if the entire archive of Emojipedia were to not be supported anymore. So congrats to... I mean, Jeremy is a friend. So congrats to Jeremy. We are really happy... Definitely. ...that, uh, that, that you know, th- this is a big deal. It's a big milestone. And uh, Jeremy, if you want to, you know, leave everything behind and enjoy your millions of dollars on your boat, we will also understand that. It's also fine. So uh, we will not fault you for doing that in the future. We still love you. I have some personal news. How personal? I... Uh I spoke to Jeremy today uh, about okay. the naming of the Jeremys. Uh, I've decided uh, in no way part of the cash deal that I made on the side that we will continue to call that game the Jeremys uh, in honor of our fallen friend. Wow. Fallen friend. Fallen yeah, friend. that's right. No, this is awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm super happy for Jeremy and the team, and I don't think he would do anything to, to hurt the future of Emojipedia, so I expect that it has a, a bright future ahead of it. Yes, congrats, Jeremy, and everyone else involved. We're still going to play our game. We still still love guessing the emoji. So Mm -hmm. uh, congrats, Jeremy. Well done. YouTube Premium Lite. What is this? (laughs) So is it premium or is it light? No, it's premium light. It's premium light. This is a new tier of YouTube Premium that is cheaper than YouTube Premium proper. In fact, it's called light. So it's not... Uh, $11.99 a month, it's uh, $6.99 a month, being tested in Europe. Uh, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, and Sweden. (laughs) Very specific parts of Europe. Very specific markets. Um, So I guess the difference here is that, so this is YouTube Premium, but what you do not get... Uh, so you still get ad-free, you know, uh, the the mobile apps, smart TVs, uh, YouTube Kids, all that stuff you do not get the benefits of YouTube music. So you cannot listen to music ad-free and you do not get any background playback feature in the main YouTube app for video. And also you do not get offline downloads. So it's YouTube premium without downloads, background playback and ad-free music listening. I have to assume, like I haven't seen this mentioned anywhere, 
And it's still a feature in testing, I suppose. I do not have it. But I assume that picture-in-picture picture will not be part of this either. So because it's technically background playback, I assume that picture-in-picture, picture, whenever it launches in YouTube for everyone, it will not be available to premium light. That would be my assumption. Yeah, that's how I read it too. Uh, I do have picture-in-picture. Picture. I pay for YouTube premium. Really? Yeah. Oh. And it's great. <laughs> it's yeah, so good. No, no need to mention that. I know. It's, I keep checking every single day and it's not here. Yeah, uh, it, it's really good. I've paid for YouTube Premium for several years now for the ad-free experience. Mike and Jason spoke about YouTube Premium a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I watch you know quite a bit of YouTube. And so I like the ad-free experience. And uh, the background playback is really nice too, especially if you're just like listening to something and... Uh, Picture-in-picture picture just makes that even better. So, yeah, if you're in Luxembourg, I guess try this out and let us know what you think. Yeah. I think we have listeners in Luxembourg. I bet we got a couple. I'm sure we do. We have listeners everywhere. If you were listening in Luxembourg, please let us know. I've thought about this. Like, you know, I don't listen to music on YouTube. I could switch to this. Offline downloads. I mean, I haven't been on a plane and having to download YouTube videos for offline usage in forever at this point. I could potentially switch to this, but then I realized, oh, picture-in-picture picture will likely not be part of this. And once I get it, I am going to need picture-in-picture picture for all kinds of YouTube video consumption that I do. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the, a lot of YouTube videos for from a lot of creators, you can leave them in the background and you can do something else, right? Um, have you seen, Stephen, this thread on Twitter a few days ago? Someone retweeted it in my timeline and it was essentially about like this person on Twitter having this super long thread about like, here's something I've realized about how creators are gaming the YouTube algorithm to make longer videos and have you stick around. And I'm going to explain that to you in a thread. But before I get to that, let me tell you this other thing. And it was basically like the thread version of a lot of YouTube videos where they say a hundred words just to explain 10 words, which is the core concept. And that is because they need to make it longer so that people stick around more and watch a longer video. Therefore, it feels like there's more engagement for the algorithm and all of that. But the Twitter thread was exhausting to read <laughs> because it was literally styled in the sense of, oh, but before I get to that, let me tell you this other thing. And why is that? Because as I told you before, like it was so verbose and done in the style of so many videos on YouTube these days. Like, whenever I watch headphone reviews, for example, on YouTube, those reviews could be condensed to five minutes. And instead, they are 25 minutes, right? And I understand why, and I love those creators. But those are videos that I could easily put in the background and watch with picture-in-picture picture because there's a lot of repetition and, you know, highlighting the same concept multiple times to make a longer video. And so I'm not complaining against those creators. I understand it's necessary because the algorithms, you know, it's hanging over all of them. And I understand. But that is also why I want picture in picture because it, th those are the kinds of videos that I, I just want to put them on in the background. You know, I don't need to pay close attention to them. Right. And, and especially on the iPad, picture-in-picture picture is so great for note-taking and research purposes. Like, yeah. it's fine on the iPhone. I mean, even on the Pro Max, picture-in-picture picture feels a little cramped, but I've really enjoyed it on my iPad Pro. I use it on the iPhone for Twitch. It's it's like you make it small and you can still follow along to a, to a stream. I do that for Mike's keyboards sometimes. Yeah, I put him in a little box. Yeah, I put him in a little box and he stays there, you know, soldering stuff, <laughs> building keyboards. It's, it's fun. It's cute. Uh, it's Mike in a little corner. Um, all right. So, uh, Stephen, mm -hmm. I have a fun topic for you. It's about Nintendo. It's about side-loading. Oh, boy. It's about emulators. It's got it all. There's everything in this topic. Okay. But... Before we get to that topic, we should thank our friends at Squarespace. Oh, that sounds good. This episode of Connected is made possible. It's brought to you, dear listener, by Squarespace. They're the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. 
Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering. They even throw in unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources, 24-7 customer support, basically everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, colors, typefaces, layout, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile viewing, so your content automatically adjusts so it'll look great on any device. If you need a domain name, they have a tool to make it quick and easy to grab one. Plus, they have all the tools you need for SEO and email marketing as well. So use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a website. Showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs. Publish your next blog post or podcast. Promote your business and so much more. I really do love building with Squarespace. I've built a bunch of sites on their platform over the years and just keeps getting better and better. The drag and drop stuff is really powerful. And if you need an escape hatch, if you need to write some custom CSS or put stuff in the header of a page or anything like that, you can do that too. So it has those power options there for you as well. Head on over to squarespace.com connected for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CONNECTED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com CONNECTED. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of CONNECTED and all of RelayFM. Parts of this conversation were held before on Remaster, connected with Mike when you were not around, but that was the that was the beginning of this problem. Now the problem has evolved, and the problem has turned, as with many things that involve me, into a whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm gonna need to contextualize things for you, Stephen, because I don't think you are as well in tune with certain Nintendo news. No. So there's this Nintendo series called Metroid. Right. Okay. It's about this um, space um, explorer. Yeah. Uh, You know, she needs to explore planets and kill monsters. Now, uh, it's a long stand, and (laughs) this is a super simplified description of it. Anyway, there's a new Metroid game coming to the Nintendo Switch in October called Metroid Dread. And it took everybody by surprise because it's uh, like every body kind of felt that Nintendo had forgotten about Metroid. And so when they announced Dread, everyone was like, oh, wow, okay, uh, that's amazing. And a bunch of people, including myself, thought, well, it's coming out in October, so maybe the summer could be a good opportunity to revisit older Metroid games, because this one is going to be the official like fifth installment in the Metroid series, you know, picking up where previous games left off. And so a bunch of people thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to start playing old Metroid games again, starting from the first one up until the fourth one in preparation for the new one coming out on the Switch. And I had the same idea, right? And so the Metroid one came out on the, on the first, like on the NES in the 80s. It's it's not a good game to play these days. You know, it's a very old NES video game. But Nintendo did a remake of this game about 15 years ago on the Game Boy Advance with new graphics, new sounds, new updated gameplay called Metroid Zero Mission. So Zero Mission is the remake of the first Metroid. If you never played Metroid before, you can start there. It's got better graphics, it's more playable, it's more approachable than an NES game. A couple of months ago, I called my mom. My mom is a, you know, it's moving between houses, so she's packing a lot of boxes, a lot of games. I was like, hey mom, can you please find this game for me? So it was a whole thing. She found all my old GBA games. And among those games, she found my cartridge of Metroid Zero Mission for the GBA that I bought in 2003, four, when I was 15 or 16 or something. And so I started playing this game on the GBA. Uh, one, of the, one of the many things that I, <laughs> that I obsess about is having... I mean, Stephen, of all people, you can understand this. I have every Nintendo console in a playable state in my house. 
Like I have the original hardware for everything at this point. Just because I feel like if I want to play an old game, I should be able to do that on original functioning hardware. And that over the years has meant, you know, changing the batteries, fixing the screen, buying a new Nintendo GameCube, you know, finding my Nintendo Wii U again. It's, I just, it's something I care about because I care about Nintendo and I want to have original hardware. So I start playing Zero Mission on a Game Boy Advance. And it took me one night to start feeling this pain on my wrists. <laughs> because I, you know, the Game Boy Advance is a very small console. And my hands are not as small as they used to be, I guess. Or I simply got older. And now my hands cannot stand, you know, being in that fixed position for several hours straight. So I woke up the next morning and my wrists were hurting, both of them. I was like, eh, well, maybe that's uh, not a good sign. So, cannot play on the GBA. So I thought, well, of all the Nintendo consoles that I have, I also have an old Nintendo DS. Uh, the Nintendo DS, you can put a GBA cartridge in, and you can play GBA games on a Nintendo DS. And for those asking in the chat room, Justin, I do not have a Virtual Boy. Unfortunately, never had a Virtual Boy. Mm -hmm. And Zach, I tried both the original GBA form factor as well as the SP, which is the clamshell uh, version of the GBA that they did. I did not try on the GBA Micro because, I mean... That's not going to help, right? It's the wrong I direction. <laughs> that's the wrong direction for me. But yes, I also have a GBA Micro. So the DS, I thought, well, the DS, slightly bigger than a, than a GBA, uh, better screen, you know, it's, uh, the backlit is better than the GBA. Uh, I could play that in compatibility mode. So I continued the game on the DS, and I tried that for a couple nights, make good progress on the game. And same problem occurs. Oh, man. A few days later, my hands were hurting, my, my fingers were all weird, and my wrists were, were hurting, and I needed to write the review, and I thought, you know... I need my hands, especially in the summer. <laughs> because like, my hands are like the primary tool of my job. Same. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, I cannot afford to not being able to type in the summer. But also, man, I really wanted to play Metroid, right? So I kept digging and digging down further into the rabbit hole. I thought, well, okay. So I know that I've put a bunch of progress into this GBA cartridge. But what if I take my, the old Nintendo Wii U, which is the console that came before the Nintendo Switch. The Nintendo Wii U, you can still use the Nintendo eShop on it. And the Nintendo Wii U, unlike the Nintendo Switch, has a virtual console. So the virtual console is the initiative that Nintendo used to do of like, you could purchase all the Nintendo games as effectively like an official emulator on the Nintendo Wii U and the Nintendo 3DS. Okay. And in fact, a lot of people following the announcement of the new Metroid for Nintendo Switch had the same idea because I saw a tweet a while back showing like, here's what the Nintendo eShop on a Wii U looks like now. Because if you boot it up and if you open the eShop, you can still see charts for top-selling games on that old console. And basically, every Metroid game was in the top charts for the virtual console oh, wow. on the Wii U. Because everybody had the same idea. And I thought, okay, I'm going to lose my progress on the cartridge. But the Wii U, it's got a gamepad, which is much bigger, much more comfortable for my hands. It's like a chunky, thick Nintendo Switch, basically. What if I start playing the game from scratch, which is going to suck because I was like two or three hours into the game. But what if I start playing on the Wii U? and it's probably not going to destroy my hands. <laughs> so I did a whole thing, right? I needed to find, because I didn't have enough HDMI, HDMI ports in my TV to accommodate both the Nintendo Switch and the Wii U. So I found an HDMI, uh, what's it called, like Switch on Amazon. It's like a little thing that from one HDMI port, it gives you two. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And, and I bought it, and it works beautifully. It even like it auto switches between consoles, depending on the signal when the console turns on. Super nicely done. So I set it up in the back of my TV. It was a whole thing. 
start, start playing on the Wii U. And I was like, oh, wow, this is much better. My hands are okay. It's not hurting. I love it. I'm going to play on the Wii U. We talked about this on Connected and on Remaster, I think. The thing is, emulation for Metroid Zero Mission on the virtual console is terrible. Is it <laughs> like, like slow or laggy? Like, why is it bad? It's slow. It's laggy. The frame rate is all over the place. Oh, man. Like, it's, you can see dro- the game dropping frames when you jump. I was like, oh, no. This is no way to play a game. No. I, <laughs> no. This, I cannot do this. It's, this is terrible. The only nice thing about it, I mean, besides the fact that it was on the Wii U and it was w- more comfortable, was that the virtual console supports uh, custom save states, meaning you can save the game without being at a checkpoint in the game. Because it's, it's an emulator, right? So you can create a save point anywhere. It's like this, there's like this custom UI on top of it that lets you save your progress anywhere. Yeah, it's like saving like a virtual machine, right? Like you just do it at any point. Yes, and exactly. You're done. Any point and you can save. And it's better for like modern times, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I'm an adult. Uh, yes, I love playing video games, but also my video game time is very limited these days. So this kind of feature is welcome. But that emulation was horrible. Like it was genuinely terrible. And so I, I was very sad for a few days until earlier this week i think it was saturday or sunday i sat down started doing my research and i realized okay if i want to do this i want to play metroid games with a system that lets me save anywhere and is always with me and emulation is good enough and my hands are not gonna kill me I'm going to go I'm going to have to go with the emulation route on the iPhone. I'm going to have to install a Nintendo uh, a GBA emulator on the iPhone. So, I came up with two solutions, but I'm sticking with one of them. The first one is an emulator that is really well known called Provenance. Now, Provenance is an emulator for a bunch of Nintendo consoles as well as old Atari consoles, the like the Lynx and the Jaguar, uh, the Bandai Wonderswan and Wonderswan Color, uh, the Sega Master System Mega Drive. But you know, for uh, all that concerned me was, can it play GBA, Super Nintendo, and Nintendo 64 games? And the answer is yes. So provenance, it's very well known. You can install it on the iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV. The thing is, the installation process, it's a bit convoluted. Yeah, I'm reading this page as you're speaking. It's like, oh, this is a lot of things to jump through. Yes. So the thing is, you got to clone the repo using the terminal, which is fine. It's like a single command. The thing is, then you got to open the Xcode workspace using Xcode. And you got to switch all settings uh, related to uh, targets and signing certificates. So make sure that you have a developer account. Make sure that you follow the step-by-step procedure to the letter. Otherwise, the build will fail. And eventually, you can build and run. And you can install provenance on your iPhone. And if you have a developer account, like a paid developer account, uh, that uh, that app will stay installed with a signing certificate for a year. So... Uh, I, that took me like an hour to figure out, but I have Provenance installed. It's fine. Uh, Metroid plays well. It plays much, much better than the Virtual Console from Nintendo itself. You have it on your phone? I have it on my phone. Okay. Um, looking at it, uh, you can use MIFI controllers with it. That's what I was going to so ask. Cool. Can, you use, uh, yes. can you use controllers? Yes you, yes, you can. You can use controllers. It's got custom save points. It's uh, The UI is not beautiful in provenance it's very functional but it gets the job done however what i think i'm gonna stick with is something that a lot of people have been doing for a while that i did in the past and then stopped doing but now i realize this is the thing for me i'm gonna sideload using alt store so alt store is this alternative app store uh made by riley tested um really great guy, uh, has been running AltStore for the past couple of years. And it's effectively like this alternative app store that lets you sideload apps uh, from your Mac or a Windows PC on your iPhone or iPad. Now, the, um, the installation procedure there is also like quite convoluted. You got to have a developer account. You got to install a mail plugin 
in Apple Mail for Mac that sort of handles like the bridging between your computer and the iPhone. Um, but once you do, you end up with this alt store app on your device. And by the way, for all those complaining, like making piracy jokes in the Discord, um, this is not like me uh, saying piracy is good, although there's an argument to be made about w the, what role piracy plays in video game preservation. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I digress. That's a t another topic for another time. Um, I have physical copies of all the games I'm, I'm going to play. I, I even have Metroid Prime Trilogy for the, for the Wii. I have it all, man. I, I got all the games I want to play. It's just that, you know, Nintendo is silly. Anyway, Outstore has an emulator called Delta, also made by Rally Tested, that lets you play GBA, Game Boy Color, Super Nintendo, and even Nintendo DS games on your iPhone. And the thing is, Delta has excellent performance, and it's beautiful. Like Delta is a really pretty emulator that supports both portrait mode on the iPhone, landscape mode, and MIFI controllers. I started playing Metroid with Delta, and I love it. I love it because performance is like, it feels like playing the original game. I haven't seen any issue related to frame rate or choppy animations like I saw in the virtual console. What I like about it is that I can choose to play in landscape with a controller or I can play in portrait mode. And you can choose these custom skins that you can install in Delta that sort of make uh, your iPhone screen look like a Game Boy. It's really nicely done, and you can install some real pretty skins. And when you play, I, I love playing in portrait mode because it feels like I'm holding a Game Boy. And when you press the buttons in Delta, like the D-pad or the A and B buttons, uh, you get haptic feedback. It's really, it's like, after a while, you stop paying attention to the fact that you're emulating a Nintendo Game Boy. And it feels like you're pressing buttons on a Game Boy, thanks to the uh, Taptic engine on the iPhone. Ooh. It's really well done. And it's like it's so pretty. Like I'm going to send you a screenshot, Steven. Um, so I started playing last night. I played for like two hours. Um, and I'm catching up to where I used to be in the, in the cartridge. And I played with my Backbone controller, which is this really well done MIFI controller for iPhone that plugs in, it's got like this Nintendo Switch-like design, plugs into the lightning port, and uh, it's got like this split design with one half on the left side and the other half of the controller on the right side of the iPhone. Played for a couple of hours. It's fine. But guess what? My hands were hurting. <laughs> when I You're just getting playing. old, man. That's what, that's what it comes down to. But thanks to my excellent research skills, I, I think I've found the final sort of solution that also, that works for me. I'm going to send you the link. It's in the show notes. This thing is called the PowerA Moga Clip for Xbox controllers. So you take an Xbox controller, you buy this little thing that costs $15, and you snap it on, on the controller, and then you put your phone inside of the clip. It's like a little cradle for your yeah, iPhone. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, if you've seen uh, maybe they still do this, but like a lot of drone controllers do this as well. You use your phone as the viewfinder, and then you but you have like analog sticks to fly. The thing is, I know the Xbox controller. Xbox controller is fine for my hands; <laughs> doesn't hurt me. Xbox controller doesn't hurt me; doesn't want me dead. Uh, it's fine; it's not gonna hurt me. I know that. I'm gonna say something that potentially upsets quite a few people. I prefer the ergonomics of the Xbox controller to the DualShock, uh, or should I say the DualSense on PS5? I say they, they changed the name. <laughs> they changed the name. Uh, the DualSense, the only thing it's got going for it is the cool design and the haptic feedback, which is really well done. But ergonomically, uh, this one, the Xbox one, is better for my hands. Mm -hmm. So starting tonight, I'm going to put my iPhone hovering above the controller and I'm going to play Delta in landscape mode as, uh, I wanted to say as God intended, but no, nobody intended this, really. <laughs> nobody did. Apple definitely didn't, that's for sure. Apple didn't, Nintendo didn't. Uh, you know, accessory makers probably did. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is how I'm going to play old Nintendo games. On a phone, on top of an Xbox controller, 
held in place by a plastic clip that I got from Amazon. <laughs> for $14. That's for $14. That's that's the dream setup, man. It's it's this thing. You're living in the future, my friend. Um, I am. I am. Now, what does this say about Nintendo and a missed opportunity with the virtual console? Like, I should... I shouldn't have to do this, right? I, sh- I shouldn't have to do any of this. Uh, I should be able to give Nintendo my money again for, for a game that I purchased when I was 15 and that in 2021 I want to play again because a, a sequel is coming out. But it's like Nintendo doesn't understand this. and They don't want my money. They don't want anybody's money, it seems. Uh, and so this is what I'm doing. I'm playing with Delta and Old Store and an Xbox controller. And so one last thing. What's now that I have Alt Store? Couple of things. I'm using like a free separate developer account to authenticate with Alt Store because I always felt kind of weird about giving my main developer account to Alt Store. Yeah. Good call. Now, do people do that? Because I know that if you use a paid developer account, you can increase the signing limit from seven days to uh, a year. And so basically right now I got to refresh the apps installed via Altstore every seven days by connecting them to a computer. I guess the solution could be keep the account separate, but sign up for an Apple developer account again. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I could do that. But also, what are, what are other apps that are cool to use on Altstore. I know that there's like a category of apps that people install. It's like tweaks mm-hmm. for existing apps. Like there's YouTube plus plus and Instagram plus plus. Like those are like popular tweaks among Altstore users. Now, if I install those, will they arrest me? <laughs> like will will like Google get upset? Like I don't know. It feels kind of sketchy, right? It feels kind of I don't know. I mean, you're definitely pushing the bounds of what uh, Apple. But this is intends. not jailbreaking. No, potential. Like technically, it's not jailbreaking. Right. It's it's side loading. Um, it's side loading. This really gets to the conversation of like, is the iPhone a computer or, or a console in the sense that all software has to come from the same place? And I definitely fall on the iPhone and especially the iPad or should be more like computers, where if yeah. you want to do this, you could install something outside of the the bounds of the app store. I mean, I th- I'm sure one reason, and there's, I'm sure there's a million reasons why Nintendo hasn't built something official for iOS where you could play all these games and, you know, emulation, is that Apple doesn't allow emulation on iOS and Nintendo wouldn't want to give Apple 30% of every purchase. And so, like, there's all these fences put up around the iPhone and iPad that, yeah, you can get around, or if you're on a Mac, you just don't have those fences necessarily. But it keeps cool stuff from happening, and that's that's a bummer. Yeah, exactly. Like it, sh- I, it shouldn't be this difficult, you know. Especially if I know if I know what I'm doing. If I have a, a developer account, like I don't know. And there's Gatekeeper on the Mac. Like we've talked about this before. It should be easier to take control of your computer and do exactly what you want to do because you can do that on a Mac. Like you you want to play old Nintendo games on a Mac? Just install an emulator and you're good to go. You can download one from the internet and it's fine. But if you want to do that on an on an iOS device, well, good luck. Uh, so I don't know. I guess I'm gonna keep using. I'm gonna post um, Stephen. By the way, this is why people should have the um, con- connected Pro because I'm posting in the Discord a picture of what Delta looks like with the skin that I'm using on my iPhone. This is not a Game Boy. This is an iPhone, and it's so pretty, right? Look at that. It looks really good. If connected listeners have any recommendations for tweaks or apps to install via outstore sources uh let me know and uh we we can talk about them in the future i got some real-time follow-up before we move on okay it's about gpus again okay Uh, they're available for standalone purchase do you want to hear the prices let me guess okay so the the 6800x the new kind of middle of the road i don't know um 1500 28 Hundred dollars. Okay, double almost doubled that. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Radeon Pro W6800X Duo. So this has two W6800Xs on board. Wow. Okay. Oof. Well, <laughs> I don't think you're gonna get one, Stephen. Right? I mean, 
You can buy another computer yeah. with that money. Yeah, another Mac Pro. That one is $5,000. And the W6900X, the most expensive one, how much do you think that runs? 12000 Oh, it's a relative deal at $6,000. Well, cheap, cheap enough. It makes the old Vega 2 uh, one seem a lot cheaper. <laughs> wow. Yeah, these are pricey. These are real pricey. So uh, tell me again, what kind of what kind of tasks people use GPUs for? Uh, Video yeah, playing Game rendering? Boy emulation. <laughs> Delta <laughs> <laughs> playing playing Metroid, playing, that, making that, Metroid possibly. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think it's more in that creation end than anything else. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you can drop a uh, six grand in your Mac Pro if you want a W69X, and maybe. You can, and you can have two of them because you got so many MPU slots. So MPU, that's a podcast, MPX slots. What if they called them MPU slots? That'd be fun for me. Okay, we're going to talk about mag- magnets in a minute. But first, let me tell you about our final sponsor, and that is Smile, our friends that make the wonderful Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste and better than scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used on any platform, any app, anywhere you type. So take back your time and increase your productivity with Text Expander. I have just tons and tons of things in Text Expander. I have all the common things like addresses and emails and that sort of thing. But I also have uh, a lot of links and language that I need to send to people on a regular basis. So if we have a guest on a podcast, I have one with like the Zoom link and all that where I can fill out the time and the date and everything. Uh, common links for membership support I have in Text Expander. It really makes me be able to work much faster. As a listener of Connected, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of the show. And Relay FM. So, Federico, you, a while back, you bought the MagSafe pop socket system, and it's finally shown yep. up. And I would love to hear what you think about this. But give people a, a reminder of you know why this is an, an issue. Why why would you want to combine magnets and pop sockets? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I bought it. Like I, I think I bought. Honestly, I think I bought it because Mike kept on insisting how much he loves the pop pop, pop sockets, and what I don't like about pop sockets is how you got to stick them to your phone. And I saw that there was a MagSafe enabled version and I'm a sucker for all things MagSafe. So I guess I just, I just wanted to try it. And so I got the standard uh, sort of MagSafe, uh, pop socket with MagSafe and the wallet version as well. And honestly, like it's pretty much what you expect. So there's a little, there's a pop socket attached to this little base that snaps onto MagSafe on your phone. Uh, It seems to be working better if you have a MagSafe case attached to your phone. I've seen reports of uh, the PopSocket not having as strong a connection if it goes Hmm. just to the phone. But I have a case. I have a silicone case and a leather case. Both are MagSafe uh, like official cases by Apple. And, And it Look, it's it's really fine. It stays in place, and it's a pop socket. You can hold the thing in between your fingers, in the you know, with the, with your hand in the back of the phone. Honestly, it's pretty much what I expected. So from that perspective, it's not a disappointment at all. It works perfectly. It stays in place. Connection is strong, and you can use it as a pop socket. Small enough, doesn't add a ton of uh, thickness to the phone. It's perfect. Like, they delivered on what they promised. The wallet version, also interesting. So they have this different uh, mechanism uh, where um, you put uh, up to three cards into the wallet 
And the wallet, of course, also has a pop socket on the outer side of it. Uh, but then when you want to grab your cards, you push down on this fabric section that they have at the top. And because it's soft, you can push the cards down oh, and you can nice. pick up the card that you need. It's really nice. And the fabric is nice. It's really well done. Uh, build quality is good. And it again, it attaches via MagSafe. And if anything, I will say... This is my favorite accessories to when it comes to detaching from MagSafe because because you can pull from the pop socket right and it and it detaches with if you apply enough uh, force so it's really it's fine but in trying this it made me realize that no matter how you slice it I'm, I I don't think I'm a, I'm a pop socket person I don't think I can be holding the 12 Pro Max. It's really not a problem for my hands, and I know, uh, no, I'm, you know, got big, ha big hands. I'm a tall guy and everything. I understand why pop sockets are popular among people who struggle to hold large phones, and I think they are the perfect accessory for that case. It feels kind of necessary for me, you know. Like sometimes I even forget. To, to pop it out and to <laughs> hold my phone like that because I, I don't need to, right? I can just hold my phone and, and, and it's fine. So as a MagSafe accessory, I would say approved. They did what they had to do. You don't need to stick your, uh, your pop socket to your phone uh, with like that uh, suction cup thing that they have, like which I always disliked. They have a MagSafe attachment that works works really nicely and stays in place both for the standard version and the wallet version. But as they say in the best uh, rom-coms, <laughs> look, it's not you, it's me, PopSocket. Uh, the problem is me. So um, not for me. I, I think I'm going to give this to Mike at some point if he wants some. Um, I'm going to write about it, but uh, yeah. Not for me. I'm not. I'm not the target pop socket user. Yeah, a couple myself. things here. One, I like on their website the animation they have is using Apple's really ugly clear case, and so like this is a great way to cover those white lines up, which is nice. Uh, I've also heard people say, yeah. I think it's definitely true, the battery pack Apple released also sticks better if you have a case. I think the magnets are just. Hmm. I don't know, like the cases are thinner and so the magnets are closer, but uh, that's been my experience as well with other products. Ah, see, that could be actually, that could be that there's nothing else going on right. in the case. It's just magnets. Whereas maybe in the case of the iPhone, there's other stuff going on there. Ah, that could be actually, that's why the connection is stronger. Yeah, I think overall MagSafe is better if you have uh, a MagSafe case, you know, the silicone or the leather, which is what I'm using. You can't customize these, so the base is black, but you can pop off the pop socket part and put, you know, your own print on one. Mike did a custom one with the Relay logo on it um, a couple years ago, so you can you can still customize this. I'm like you, though. I'm not really a pop socket person. I do have one on my Kindle Oasis, and I like it for that because the Kindle Oasis is just an awkward size to mm. try to hold. <laughs> and I really like it there. But I've tried it on my phone. I mean, a few years ago on Connected, we did a challenge where we, I think you and I had to use a pop socket for like two weeks and Mike had to go without or something. And it's, again, I see why people like it. It's just not for me, especially in the MagSafe world. But I'm glad that it's here. I mean, it took them a long time, but it sounds like they they did it right, which is impressive. You know, a lot of us definitely had concerns, and their website says, you know, don't hold your phone just by the grip, but it seems like it's uh, a lot better than it could have been. So I think the delay is totally understandable. Um, I'm growing my MagSafe collection for sure. Now that I'm going to the beach, like uh, I'm going to have a whole stack of, of MagSafe accessories to choose from. Uh, probably gonna need like a separate bag just for my MagSafe accessories. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what you need. You need like a metal briefcase so they like magnetize to the case and you like pop them off and pop it on your phone. No, what I need is oh, like yes. a belt with MagSafe clips and I can That's just good. pop them off. I feel off like we've had this belt. very idea before. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Maybe because it's a good, a really good idea and somebody should do it. So imagine a belt, a, ma a MagSafe belt. And you can stick as many accessories as you want. And then depending on the situation and the, in the context you're in, you can snap on different accessories and you can store them 
on your belt. I mean, all the coolest people store things on their belts, belts. you know, smartphones. You know, cell, cell phones back in the day, you would have like a little belt clip for your Nokia phone. Oh, yeah. Glorious times. Yes. Well, I think that does it, Federico. We've, uh, we've really covered the full spectrum of connected nonsense. If you want to read more about uh, the stuff we've spoken about, head on over to the website at relay.fm slash connected slash 357. While you're there, you can send us an email with feedback or follow-up. Or if you want to join and get a longer ad-free version of the show each and every week, there's a join button there at the top of the page. Or you can go to relay.fm slash connected slash join. There's a little landing page there for you. Thank you so much. If you are a supporting member, uh, it really means a lot to us. While you're on the Relay website, check out Relay's newest show. We have a new show, Federico. We launched a new podcast this year. I know. This is a show called Conduit. If you want to explore the connections between what we should be doing, what ultimately gets done, I know I have that chasm in my life sometimes. Uh, our friends Kathy and Jay are hosting a new show about that, relay.fm slash conduit or search for Conduit wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's fantastic and super excited to have Jay uh, on the network. That's a, that's a real honor for us. You can find Mike on Twitter. He's I-M-Y-K-E. Again, he's off this week. He'll be back next week. You can find Federico on Twitter as Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes about MagSafe-compatible products mm-hmm. at MacStories.net. You need, you need MagStories.net. Wow. Okay. Someone's going to get it. You got to get okay. it. Max stories. And then uh, just forward it to the category page for that. Done and done. Uh, Federico, I have a question for you. Okay. What Pokemon... It's nice that you're, that you're doing this again. Okay. What, what Pokemon? Pokemon do you feel like you resonate with the most? Generally speaking? I think there's different ways you could take this. So it's kind of up to you. Okay. So what kind of Pokemon am I looking for here? has to be a dog Pokemon, I think. Right? I, f- I, feel, I feel like, like it's got to it be a dog. Um, so, let's see. Let me let me pull up some reference material here. I mean, I could go for the boring answer and give you the legendary dog from the latest, uh, latest Pokemon game. Uh, there's a bunch of dog Pokemon. Arcanine comes to mind. Uh, Lycanroc, but that's more of a wolf Pokemon. Uh, Houndoom... Uh, Entei, also legendary uh, Pokemon. Uh, okay, so I feel like hmm, I'm I'm browsing through my reference material here. <laughs> You're Devin, think of Pokemon. Uh, so okay, definitely a dog Pokemon because dogs are the best. So I'm torn between uh, Zacian, who's the legendary fairy dog Pokemon from the last uh, Pokemon game. Or, because it's a dog, and I've always think it's a good body. Yeah, I'm going to go with Arcanine. Arcanine from, from the very first 151 Pokemon, first generation, a very good dog. Uh, Pokemon who breeds fire, you know, fire-type dog Pokemon. Doesn't get any better okay. than Arcanine. I'll put that in the show notes so people can see. Yeah? Okay. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I write over at 512pixels.net. And uh, Federico and I and Mike, we all host a bunch of other shows here on Relay FM, so you can check that out if you want to hear more of us. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week. They are Instabug, Squarespace, and Smile. And until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye, y'all.